I can't focus on these Americans who think that, you know, white power is uber alles. Welcome to Won't Be Silent. I'm your host, political TikToker and opinionator, Abe Gurko. Everyone should be able to voice their opinion. We want people in this current moment of resistance to use their voices. We're here to discuss the many reasons why we can't and won't be silent. Each week we will explore a movement and see if we can bring people together with one goal, to speak up and say, I won't be silent. Today my guest is Jack Cocciarella, who I saw on Twitter originally, then again on TikTok, and really wanted to talk to him. He's bright, he's part of the Gen Z people that are going to make this country a better place to live. Uh, my name is Jack Cocciarella. Uh, where I am right now, that's Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, at Dartmouth College, where I'm currently a freshman. So my work in politics started really in middle school when I started uh, going into Orlando and into my community and registering people to vote. So my mom and I both were very you know, politically active, interested in politics. Uh, and so I asked her if she would take me out and, you know, we could register some voters. So I got certified to register uh, others to vote. And so we just went into the community on weekends, knocked doors, and just went all over the place to register voters. Um, and that's what I fell in love with. That was my passion. Um, my junior year of high school, in fact, right before COVID hit, uh, my good friend and I were working on some infrastructure to work across Orange County public schools uh, where I went to high school that would have students register their peers to vote instead of having outside organizations come in where it's like kind of people sitting at a table, you don't right, really know right, them, right, you don't make the right. connection. Um, and so that's what we were working on. And we were super excited for students to be registering their peers to vote and actually get them civically engaged. And then COVID rolled around and there was not a lot of in-person school that wasn't going to work. We moved it online. It was still really successful. It still gave people the opportunity to connect. Um, but that was my passion. And, and, and so that summer when COVID started and nobody knew what was going on for a month or two or three or still, people, as we all still don't know really what's going yeah. on. Well, um, I know. I know that it sucks. That's what we all know. Yeah. And, and so I, I kind of just like tried to figure out, okay, well, so what's my next step? If I can't be going out and knocking doors in my home state of Florida, what am I going to do? So I kind of pivoted online and that ended up with me reaching out and sending an email to what was the early iteration, the infancy of the Lincoln Project. Um, so that was in early 2020, in that summer, I sent an email, you know, hey, I like, you know, I've been following your founders and in your organization since December. Uh, I'm really interested. Do you all have any internships, like any anything that I could do? And they said, yes, uh, actually, we were looking for people. So uh, my first day, I was like the 10th or 11th intern ever to join the political team at the Lincoln Project, where at the end of it, it was like 300, 400 of us. So I started really from the beginning um, working with incredible people like Rick Wilson and Mike Madrid, uh, Reed Galen, Fred Wellman, just learning a lot, Steve Schmidt, um, wow. excellent mentors in an extremely important fight. And so I was working on that political team, picking up from these you know, genius political minds who were giants, always giants, yeah. always, always helpful and just saying, hey, like, you want to talk like after a meeting, Hey, you know, if you have any questions, throw them my way. If you want to send me an email, if you want to jump on the phone, like we are spending every second we have 
in this fight, but the extra seconds we'll take and just like help out some of the young people on this campaign and like, and, and let them learn. And so I started picking up here and there from, you know, being in meetings with Mike Madrid. I, I worked uh, as, a, as you know, a deputy to him, a bit of an assistant, which is amazing because I was in all of his meetings and just got to learn and kind of just soak it in. And towards the end of the campaign, I got interested in the digital strategy that we were doing that was kind of taking over the internet. Right. He became very famous, of course, for the ads that we were doing and our presence on social media. Uh, our communications director, Keith Edwards, was awesome in letting me just pick his brain. And my first real start in you know doing anything in the digital field in that digital space was um, at the Republican National Convention, we decided... Uh, or I, I don't even know how that just came about, but we got all these speeches that were going to be given in advance and we started leaking them. Um, <laughs> and so I texted Keith. I love it. I said, Keith, what we need to do is like, we got to run with this in every way possible. Let's call it the Leakin Project, right? And so <laughs> instead of the Lincoln Project, for those nights, we were the Leakin Project and that was a hashtag that went crazy. They changed the name of the account for those days. It's like, wow, this is like, this is really cool. You can have an impact from your bedroom. And so I started getting active on, on Twitter, which is where I'm most active now. And I remember when I started in 2021, when I actually just like first started to tweet, I think January 1st, 2021, I had, it was like 1,499 followers on Twitter. And now it's like 110,000 and it's crazy. It just kind of like blew up in a year. I started sharing my thoughts, making jokes about, you know, Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, because <laughs> these are like tough shit right now. Things are hard. And so bringing a little bit of humor and you know, poking Twitter fun. Twitter loves humor, though. That's a good Yeah, thing. exactly. Like poking fun and telling stories in a way that people can gravitate more towards because they're a little bit easily di more easily digestible is what I wanted to do. Uh, and that's kind of just taken off. And being able to use my voice uh, as a young political activist and, and talk about what's important to Gen Z, it, the, just the reception has been incredible and people wanting to uplift young voices like myself. And so it's just encouraged me more and more to fight and to get more young people in this fight because they people want to hear our voices. And so it, it's our job to use them. I really think it's this election is so important for young people to get it. I mean, yes, it was a good turnout for the 2020 election, but we really need like massive Z. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think in, in 2020, one of the big moments that I hope is not forgotten in history, not only because it was hilarious, but I think it was like a, a holy shit moment was, um, remember the rally that Trump had in Oklahoma uh, hello. It up. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be a million people, it's gonna be packed, it's gonna be full. And yes. he was just bragging about how many people had bought tickets, and it was just a bunch of like Gen Z kids. Like it was just us on like you know, TikTok <clears throat> telling people to not buy tickets but reserve them, and the numbers blew up. And then it was this huge embarrassing moment for him when he was there with basically a zero crowd. And there's nothing more that Trump hates than being embarrassed. And I mean, I did oppose that, I believe, was the day that he realized he was going to lose the election. And that was the day that young people realized, hey, like, we can I actually can do something. I may be sitting in my bedroom because it's COVID and there's nothing I can do. And this may just be a joke to upset the president. But we actually have and we've made an impact. Right? We have changed his state of mind. Oh, so there's no question that was Gen Z all the way. 
So that's yeah. the point right yeah. there where I think we said, okay, let's figure out what we can do with digital organizing, something that you know has been going on for a while. But I think this is the moment now where it really takes off, where people are so connected <laughs> and have been forced to be so connected because of COVID. You know, this is the only way that we can communicate is over Zoom. It's a little annoying to have to Zoom all the time, but it's opened up so many doors for people that digital strategy and digital organizing has opened up tremendously, and especially for young people who want to use their voice. I think that uh, you have the awesome opportunity to galvanize young people. And because you have such an awesome experience with the Lincoln Project, those people are. Although I have to say one thing that really upset me about the Lincoln. You do know that they could have been their own political party. Like that should have been the third part. There, there was a, there was, and you know, a, a lot of people have said this, and you know, I, you know, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed loves the time that I spent, um, and after uh, after the 2020 election, kind of just you know moved on um, because I had to finish up, you know, my senior year of high school. Um, but and I, I, I agree, there was a lot of momentum um, behind what the Lincoln Project could have been as a as a movement instead of you know maybe just an establishment, you know, there was, there was momentum for it to be a, a real galvanizing force in politics. Yeah, and I was personally uniting cr- a, a, a front of, you know, the voters that helped Joe Biden win. Well, I was crushed when that whole contra- that whole controversy, like I was, I'm one of my favorite podcasts is, um, you know, the new abnormal, which was mm-hmm. Rick Wilson and Molly Youngfast. And when he had to back off, I was really upset because he's king hilarious. He is. Rick's the best. And I mean, they all are. But the thing is, I really feel like they were all never Trumpers, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is that they were never Trumpers right away. And what they should automatically have done is rather than only, and again, what they did with Lincoln Project, genius. I wish they would have just all started really developing the independent part. Because by 24, we could have had a viable party that a lot of Democrats, because I know tons of disillusioned Democrats, you know, that would love to be independents, except they don't want to give it like to the Green Party, which is whatever that is. You know what I mean? Not even good in its intention. (laughs) It's just like a spoiler party. I don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what we were kind of seeing is maybe a, a, the beginning of a, of a separation within the Democratic Party when you see a more progressive caucus and then a more, you know, moderate, what people call corporate Democrat caucus. Um, and you see kind of like the Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema is not really where the party should be. And it's not that, you know, the Democratic Party is moving way far to the left. The Democratic Party is really Joe Biden's agenda right now. And I don't think there's anyone <laughs> saying that Joe Biden's agenda is radically liberal, right? No. It's no. just what the overwhelming majority of Americans want. But for Democrats that can't get on board with that, I think that's where the split might come in the party. Um, yeah. I, and I, AOC has, has consistently said that Joe Biden has been a good faith leader of the party when talking with progressives and, and hearing them out. And Something that was historic about his campaign in 2020 is he moved to the left from the primary. Right? And in his primary, he was the moderate. And he began to, after that, hear young people out. He was having conversations with Senator Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, more progressives within the Democratic Party saying, what do I need to do 
to be a good leader of this party now that I'm your nominee. And that's something Joe Biden can do. He has the capacity to listen. He completely bungled at first student debt relief, and then he listened. Now, of course, he listened because we were screaming at him, (laughs) and there needs to be far more action taken, lots more. But he listened, and is that not at least something that we can say he's done successfully as a president? And so that's why I, I, I think that this little split might start to happen. Democrats who can actually listen to the American people versus those who are kind of bought. And we know those who are bought. They're Joe Manchin, right? They're Kirsten Cinema. They're yeah. people who prefer their houseboats and, and European wine trips than making prescription drugs affordable. So I think that split yeah, makes it, it, it it just so doesn't make sense that those kind of Democrats are even in this position to yield so much power. That yeah. that's it's it's just made me who's like a lifelong Democrat and an activist since I was also in junior high. It just makes me so disillusioned with our old government structure as it is altogether, you know, which is why we have to look to the next generation. I mean, when I was, you know, starting out, they didn't have anything like what you had started where you were registering other people. You know what I mean? These are. These are like civic-minded programs that really can start getting implemented into schools now, which could just change the mindset of people that it's going to take a good 20, 30 years to change out of this just two-party system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like That's why I was so wishing that those never-Trumpers just became independents right away and just could have given us like a good shot at having a viable candidate. That Because the kooks are going to be Republican. They're not the majority. They're not, you know what I mean? And they never will be. No. And if anything, they're going it, to start dying 40, off from 43, COVID. Uh, the, the Democratic half of the Senate represents, I think the number is 43 million more people than the Republican half does. Yeah. Like, it, is that not clear enough? That's just, that's just math. <laughs> like, it's just, it's clear. They are not the majority and they won't be. And the Senate itself is is not even it can't be a majority because the rules don't work that way no, and i think you know maybe maybe that's something that we kind of failed at or at least the biden administration has is day one we should have taken some serious structural actions some structural changes because i don't really think american voters care about joe biden or chuck schumer firing the senate parliamentarian to, you know, get a $15 minimum no, wage through. No one even knows or, what a parliamentarian no. is. They think it's a cigarette. I, <laughs> like, I don't think people care if he would have done that to, you know, increase the minimum wage or have some reform for immigration or actually get his agenda through or abolish the filibuster or make a carve out. I don't think this is what the American people are yeah. caring about. I don't think this is top of mind when they're voting. Yeah. So I think that has been probably the biggest mistake of this administration is not really realizing right away what's important to the American people and then kind of stalling and then taking time. And I know that it was important for President Biden to have negotiations and try to hear out Joe Manchin. But at some point, he's got to say, you're not going to be the reason that I lose my House and Senate majority in 2022. And you're not going to be the reason I potentially lose the presidency. I'm not going to leave up whether I keep my majorities and the legislature, and if I keep my job as president, I'm going to leave that to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. So we should have taken action on day one. That's what we should have established. Of instead of saying, instead of saying like, oh, we're going to pass these, you know, 
bold, incredible ideas, like that was great. Those are the expectations that we set. The expectations that we should have set says we're going to get rid of the things that are going to hold us back from passing those ideas. And we got to do that right now because then everything's going to fall in line. I mean, I think the first thing we should have done was voting rights, period. Absolutely. That should have been January 20th. But here we are. And I have a, I'm not hopeful that we're going to get voting rights, which is why we have to vote, like just to quote John Lewis, vote like we've never voted before. We need the kind of millions of more votes because... The thing is, and they could try to do whatever the f- those idiots are. I- I'm sure that we're going to pass the electoral vote count. That much, I feel like they're not stealing any. We, I am not going to be living in a country where they're stealing elections. That much, I can assure you. I mean, that, I know for myself, I'm out otherwise, because that's, you know, I'm the, I refuse to live in like a fascist minded regime. I just want well, my mom survived Dachau. I'm done. You know what I mean? I won't live to see that, you know, that's just not of the question, which is why I've become so like obsessed with like at least galvanizing whoever I can between now and November. It's a long time away. And when I hear people on TikTok and there are tons of them, Democrats, people I respect and admire saying, oh, Trump's going to win and we're going to lose the House and the Senate. And like, what did you think for one second we were going to make Georgia blue? In the no. Senate? No one did. You didn't, even on the 4th of January, you didn't. So you got to just stop not believing. In and that and control the thing do. that you can. And that thing yeah. that you can control is voting and getting other people yeah. to vote. And that's yeah. what's important because I've, I've said it before in reference to, you know, the possible presidential run by Ron DeSantis. I said 2022 <laughs> is a vaccination year. We're vaccinating mm-hmm. ourselves against Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House and trying yes. to pull some bullshit in 2024. We're vaccinating ourselves against Mitch McConnell being Senate Majority Leader and trying to pull some bullshit with voting rights and limiting people's right to vote. And we're vaccinating ourselves against Trump installing his radical secretaries of state in 2022 in Arizona and in Nevada and in Georgia and governorships in Michigan and Georgia and Nevada and these places that we have to win. We have to make sure that we have Democrats to hold and stand up for the rule of law. That's what we need. Or at least pro-democracy candidates, pro-democracy candidates, pro-democracy officials. You know, I don't love, you know, Raffensperger in Georgia, but you know, he did his job as Secretary of State. He made sure that an election happened. When Trump was calling up, asking him to find him some votes, he said, no, this, no, that's not democracy. And so that's what we need. You know, I would prefer them to be Democrats, but they have to be pro-democracy first. And that's the thing that matters. So 2022 vaccination year. Vaccinate I like, yourself. I like that. So current. 2024. I like that, like that soundbite. It's better. Yeah, it's good. It's better. Two things. A- are you going to run at any point? In, are, you looking for, <laughs> are you looking to be in politics? Is that what you're studying? What are you studying in college? I'm studying, uh, I'm, I'm studying economics right now in school. So um, I, I get the question. Um, I get that question a lot. So right now I'm a Democratic digital strategist and I work for awesome candidates um, like Marcus oh, cool. Flowers, who's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. So if you haven't checked out Marcus Flowers. Uh, um, excuse me. Do I look like I was born yesterday? <laughs> I, no, found I, just, his, I, was, I found his video two days after he launched it. He was my first interview on uh, my YouTube channel. He's awesome. Oh, wow. There's somebody in Florida that we really have to get to. Who yeah, you, that's going to be Val Demings. Are you, yeah. 
You think well, Val Demings for Senate, but you know, right now the uh, the problem in Florida is our primary for you know everything is so late that you know Nikki Freed, Charlie Crisp still waiting. I kind of love that. Nikki though. She's doing a great job right now. She's being an important leader in the state and the community everywhere she goes. And yeah. that's and when we have a governor who's gone and doesn't want to say where he is, um, that's important. Your, but, governor, you know, that, your governor was two sheets to the wind with COVID like I'm sitting. Did you see his press conference he did yesterday? Yep. Did yeah. you see how dark the circles under his eye? He looked like he had just been, you know, whatever. So I don't believe and, he was and, you know, holding his wife's hand. And, and. And if and it's it's crazy with Ron DeSantis because in, in 2018, 2019, and Democrats will tell you this because he had a 20%, 30% approval rating amongst Democrats. He was actually a pretty good governor. You know, he was focusing on Florida's environment. Um, he was actually doing some pretty good stuff. He had a high approval rating for a governor of any state. Um, but he got infected when COVID came around. He maybe didn't get infected with COVID. Maybe he has right now. But he got infected with the Trumpism virus. You know, you saw, I think a lot of people have seen that video that he ran in the t- 2018 primary when with he was reading kid? his baby, uh, you know, uh, you know, ooh, this is the Trump book and we're going to build a wall. We're going to build a wall. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, back then, Ron DeSantis, as much as I dislike him, is a smart political operator. He was playing to an audience of one, and that was Trump, which helped him win the primary, helped him win the election. So mm-hmm. he was smart there. But he he wasn't operating as a Trump guy. He was more of a of a Sununu like we have in New Hampshire, who's you know still a Republican, not incredible, but you know for a governor fairly competent. But he's just been infected with the I want to run for president disease, and that is completely taken him off the rails. He is a threat to democracy. He is a threat to you know actual Floridians. I don't know if you saw at that press conference a public press conference that he had. In a public building, a man, a 70-year-old man, was arrested for trying to ask a question and carried out. No, I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't see that? No. Yeah, he was trying to ask a question. Was that the same about, press conference where he looked like he was croaking from COVID? No, I know. Was that the other one with his wife? been a lot of press conferences. Is that no, the one with his wife where she was not wearing a mask in the midst of her cancer treatment? No, that was at that uh, at that <laughs> concert. It was just a, it was just a couple nice. days ago. Um, and yeah, he was, he was arrested and something that he said, which I thought was fantastic was when they were taking him out he was like, I'm just trying to ask a question. He said, um, there's nothing private about public health. And I think that's true that they're trying to hide and stay away from these questions <laughs> about COVID and ducking their responsibilities. And no, there's nothing private about public health. You have to yeah, keep us safe and that's your job. Being the child of Holocaust survivor, there's such a, like, it's it's just not okay to hear the kind of things we're hearing. I mean, I put a post today comparing the Nazis marching with the people at the front at the White House and at the Capitol building. What's the difference? Yeah. I'll tell you what the difference is. The Germans were clean and trim. <laughs> These fat slobs <laughs> are just gross. <laughs> well, that's that's something that, you know, I've always said of the of the Trump era is that we got so lucky and it kind of seems like we didn't but we got lucky that they were so stupid right mm. they had mike lindell coming in and out of the oval office with their strategy he had it on like his little clipboard with his papers falling all over the place and people it's were like taking pictures mind. of what it said of his bullet points we were lucky 
that Trump was incompetent. We were lucky that the people around 100%. him were incompetent. We're lucky that Kevin McCarthy is incompetent. Yeah, we're lucky problem- that McConnell was not on the job. Yes, exactly. Period. The biggest problem with Mitch McConnell is not that just not just that he's evil. They're all evil. It's that he's smart. Right. And so we have to make sure that no one with that capacity for evil gets in yeah. to office, to a high office. Because if it was Ron DeSantis, I, I hate giving Ted Cruz credit for anything, but he is a smart guy as well. If it was Ted Cruz, he, they would have done a more effective. But I'm not just talking about January 6th. I'm just talking about the whole Trump era, they would have been more effective in their evil. If Trump was even like a, a smidge better, a, of a, politi- <laughs> a better of a politician or just a leader in general, that election was so close. It it may have said, you know, it may say 8 million votes and, you know, 200 and, uh, what was it, you know, Biden 306 electoral votes to 232,000 people. Or so, right? That's it. That's yeah. it. Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. It was it was paper thin. Yeah, we have. That's it's when it's we too. Have to it's too close. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. too close to count on them. And it's idiots. gonna be. Like, and it's gonna be again. Yeah. It's so we can't count on again. them to be idiots. Like that's yeah. not. That can't be. No. We can't have idiot insurance every year because it's not gonna work. <laughs> I mean, it's just Im- not gonna. I mean, imagine they had this whole. They were planning this thing for months. I don't guess like anybody's that nobody had a plan. So like, so what do we do once we're inside? You know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> there was no like, but um bum after that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, let's say you killed, let's say you killed a bunch of them. You know what I mean? What did you think was gonna happen next? There was yeah. no plan. Yeah. And, and and they they never know what they're doing. And that's that's why we got lucky. Yeah. And we can't account for that next time. Because next time it's gonna be a smarter person and a better plan. And that's not, and we just can't let that happen. So we, no, we like I we said, we, we have to vaccinate ourselves against an anti-democratic virus that's coming for us in the form of a Donald Trump presidency, possibly in 2024. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, this was awesome. Okay.